Sonic State Talk. All right, well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Sonic Talk number 166. Uh, we're recording live uh, today on the 24th of February 2010, where you can join us. Um, probably too late if you're hearing this now, but uh, that's at sonicstate.com forward slash live. We've got a chat room and a live audio stream via uh, Shoutcast. So uh, they will, uh, so yeah, please join us next week. If you're not with us this week, we've got a bunch of people in the chat room this week. So um, marvellous. And uh, we've got some guests with me from all over the, uh, hep- the the southern hemisphere. Northern hemisphere, I suppose we are, aren't we? And it feels very northern here in the UK because we've got the Winter Olympics on as well. It's all sort of everything. Telly's cold as well. Um, but I'll say hello to um, Dave Spears from G4Software.com. Hello. Hello. I was just prodding my volume button there. Ah, okay. I didn't hear any... Like you sometimes do. That's it, yeah. Um, <laughs> everything well? You uh, you plummeting head wa- headlong towards uh, final delivery? Hopefully. So the, blo- the bloke <laughs> who's going to come round with the van will knock on the door, open it, and you'll come tumbling down the stairs with boxes full of stuff going, yeah, here it is. I've just got yeah, that in, visual that, image. Nice. Yes, it's possible. <laughs> Anything's possible at this point. Anyway, it was great to have you in the, in the studio last week. Nice to see Chris and John. Um, thanks very much for coming down. It was nice to have a bit of uh, after after hours action as well. Always nice. Next time, we'll definitely have to make it into the uh, into the spa and sit on the roof and look at the lights over Bath. It's very uh, it's pretty special actually. Brilliant. Look forward to it. Definitely. G4Software.com is where you want to go for that sort of stuff. Anyway, and um, our other two participants are on the other side of the pond, um, which is still a pond, um, not frozen just yet, but give it probably another couple of decades and we'll be able to walk to your place. Uh, And it's, first of all, we'll say hi to Rich Hilton. Good morning. How are you, Rich? Of course, um, seminal recording engineer, producer, player, studio guy, Extraordinaire, award-winning kind of bloke from uh, Connecticut. Uh, works every day with Nile Rogers and the gang. You having a good week? Yes, very much so. And I don't often get to be seminal, so that's <laughs> so that's good. There's things you can take for that. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, most guys, Rich, most guys my age take stuff for the converse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, nice to have you on board. Uh, and uh, that other chuckle you heard was PJ Tracy from. Uh, uh, have I already said hello to you? Sorry, am I going mad? No, I haven't, have I? I sort of had hello, but not officially. PJ Tracy uh, from Minneapolis, uh, PJ Tracy Music, Grammy winning, no, Emmy winning PJ Tracy, composer, studio owner, all-round player kind of guy. How are you, PJ? Um, very well, and I'll take that Grammy if you have it. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll see what I can do about that. <laughs> Thank I'll you. I'll see if I've got a spare one. <laughs> Wonderful. There was it's good a, to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having Wouldn't me. Wouldn't it be nice to even be nominated? When do they, well, let's, let's just hold out for the podcast Grammy, shall we? Excellent. Hey, funnily enough, um, a Slough from Sessions with Slough, the guy who does a lot of recording stuff, um, he pointed me in the direction of a, play, a, a podcast called The Audio Nowcast. And, it, and he said, oh, it's a bit like yours. And I thought, yeah, okay, uh, it might be. And honestly, it's like a dead ringer. <laughs> it's really bizarre. It's a bunch of audio professionals. And the last show was them talking about NAM, and it's really sort of um, low-key and kind of informal. And I just thought, wow, great minds think alike. And I'd never heard it before, so check them out. Audio Nowcast. <laughs> and hopefully they'll plug us as well, because I don't know whether they've got more or less listeners than us, but well, I suppose we can find out. We'll see if we get a spike in traffic or a massive drop-off. Who knows? <laughs> I like to think that we can share, though. <laughs> But my first, the first thing I want to say is, can you believe it? Amy Williams, a Bath girl, won a gold medal in the Winter Olympics in the Skeleton mm. Bob. 
and she uh, and and she was. They actually said on BBC um, uh, coverage, there'll be there was a big party in the Pulteney Arms last night, and I've been to that pub, and it was just really weird thinking about it in those terms. And I, I think, to be honest. England have won about three medals in the last hundred years <laughs> in the Winter Olympics. So she's very good. And she's absolutely gorgeous as well. Interesting enough, that's the only, that's the only event I've seen of this entire Winter Olympics was that, that particular day watching the, skeleton, the women's skeleton run. And I watched her run. It was fantastic. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. She won by like half a second, which on, on that run is, you know, apparently it's loads because it's, uh, uh, you know, they win by hundredths of seconds and what have you. So anyway, nearly over. Uh, every time I kind of settle down at the end of the evening, sort of thinking because they play the highlights or they, and it's just been bloody curling for the last week. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily mind curling, but it's very slow. It's like watching bowling. You know, this stuff doesn't really happen. You know, you don't get crashes and sort of fast things and exciting tiebreak. You know, it's just. Oh. <laughs> it's, I, I find I can't get through a day now without at least an hour of curling or something. <laughs> What? Are you a first thing in the morning or last thing at night kind of I guy? wake up with the shakes. I, go, I get on right away and start looking for my curling fix. <laughs> curling could, of course, be a euphemism for a number of other things. <laughs> we'll leave that to our listeners' imaginations. Uh, anyway, so uh, – and also I got an official uh, email from uh, a lady called Mira who said uh, that she just listened to Sonic Talk 165, which was last week, and wanted to let know that there's at least one more regular lady listener out there. She's never had the opportunity to join, join the live chat, but she listens to the podcast every Friday morning on the way to work. It's a great way to start the weekend. Hi, Mira. So a big shout-out to Mira. And she's apparently getting a Taurus 3 – set of Taurus 3 pedals fairly oh, shortly. Fantastic. Very good. Keep your eyes on the road, Mira. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, well, should we start then? This, this will be Sonic Talk number 166, getting going. The f- and the first thing I wanted to play was, uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you first. Um, Unmixing Station by Audionomics. Uh, this is a very interesting and very, um, this is a piece of software. I think it's French uh, in origin. And uh, it's supposed to... Um, basically be able to demix audio and uh, they've been getting a lot of stick because you know obviously you go to the website and there's a couple, there's basically a couple of shots of uh, some waveforms that says look this is what the music looks like before it's deconstructed and this is it deconstructed so i thought right okay when i'm talking deconstruction we're talking about you know you play something into it and it comes out with presumably the bass line the, the guitar the you know the organ whatever so i thought i'd try it out because i downloaded and I, I registered i don't know if anybody else has actually registered for it but um let me play you my original piece of music which i hope you'll enjoy Anyway, some of the finest organ riffing, in my opinion, ever. But <laughs> Booker T and the NGs, bootleg there, absolutely brilliant. And so I, put, I fed that in, and I, cut, I got three stems. No, four stems. First stem was this. Which I'm guessing is sort of the bass line-ish. Then we got this one, uh, which was a bit better. Uh, then this one, which just sounds like one of the, it sounds like somebody's mic'd up the organ and this is just the sound of the, uh, the dip, what are, what are they called? What do they do going? The tone wheels going round. And then, uh, this, finally this one. Anyways, rubbish. 
I, I mean, I can't really. I mean, there's no other final because I well, I tried because I tried a couple other things because I've as you may have, I've just put the Chaosolator Pro review live up on the website, and that you know you can create four distinct loops and uh, you know play them in, uh, together. So I thought, right, well, I'll try just starting one of those and put that in. That's got to be pretty easy. One's a bass line, one's a, a drum beat, and one's you know a little synthy thing. And it was it just couldn't cope with that either. And I'm not quite sure what it's designed for because they don't put any examples up there that say, look, this is how great it can be. So it's very difficult to know whether it is any good. And it's it's quite si- it's a very simple setup. So essentially, what happens is. You load it. You drop a um, you drop a file in one in one box, and then you drop a, a destination folder in the other box, and you can ha- output files uh, stereo to up to five, stereo to up to twelve, uh, stereo up to twenty. So I'm guessing it's the number of bands of analysis, right? Yep. And then and then you wait for it to come out, and it output. It takes uh, WAVs and outputs WAVs. Seems uh-huh. quite straightforward, you know, but there's nothing else you can tweak about it. Um, mm. The demo, you get 20 goes, uh, two minutes maximum audio. And um, <laughs> I don't know what... more than enough. Do you think... <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I, it does seem like a little bit of a harsh review, but I... I, I I no. was sort of thinking, well, I, I, unfortunately, my um, uh, Melodyne DNA uh, has expired because I thought, well, I, let's try and do the same thing, piece of music and just mute stuff out and see how good that deals with it, as it were. Uh, but I couldn't. But I, I would, I would, I would put money on the fact that it probably deals with it a little bit better because it sounds to me that what it's doing is filtering stuff, and then just kind of, you know, that's about it. It didn't seem very complicated. Anyone else get a chance to a, a look at this or sort of see? I mean, I looked. You looked, and there I was looked. nothing for you to listen to. There was nothing to listen to, and I'm. I was really hoping I would get to listen to something, and now that I've heard something. Wish you um, hadn't. <laughs> not necessarily, no, but uh, it, they're still not really doing it. I mean, since I think the first time I heard somebody walk into a music store, it was the late 60s, and I do mean the 1960s, um, when they said, can you take a piece of music and just pull the vocal off of it so I can sing over it? And they still really can't do that. I mean, actually, they can do that to some degree, but, but uh, this separating of music, of mixed music, is still not... It, it, it's still they're tr- still basing it on frequency analysis, it seems, and so your bass drum track is loaded with bass, or your bass is loaded with bass drum, or however you want to slice yeah. it. And uh, Melodyne kind of sounds the same as that, but maybe a little better, but still doesn't separate everything when you play a real full mix into it. So, um, so I you not know that yet. I'm not. Um, I wouldn't get through all twenty of those demo opportunities at two minutes a pop. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> That's very diplomatically put there. Thank you. Uh, I don't know, but I mean, it seems like I mean, because because Melodyne DNA is remarkably, and there is what's the other thing? There was the orange, um, not the orange, um, Pro oh, Sonus. Was it the Pro Sonus stuff? They did the orange vocoder, and they were doing something which extracted vocals, and that did pretty well. Uh, there was a demo we saw at Music Mesa last year. They wouldn't show us the whole thing, but I mean, it, it, I mean, it took some serious computing, but it did do it. And that was a, a vocal which had kind of harmonizer and re- reverb and stuff on it. They used, I think, it was a Gabriel vocal they used, which is obviously fairly heavily produced and you know finely mastered and what have you. Should we be close? I mean, Dave, you're uh, in, in perhaps more in software world than the rest of us. Would you would you think that it would be possible? Or would you expect more from something that seemed to have so much promise and clearly quite a lot of money put into the uh, promotion and hype of it? I mean, I don't understand how they think 
you know, someone will go, yeah, actually, I'll buy that. How much is it? 500 bucks? Yeah, sure, whatever. You know, it just doesn't seem to fulfill any function. Uh, no. I had a scout around their website, couldn't hear anything, didn't sign up for the demo, looked at some of the films that it had been used on, one of which is my favourite film of all time, I have to say. So I was going to give it the benefit of the doubt because I've got that very film downstairs in all versions. So I was going to listen to the older version versus the one that they've done, but I haven't had a chance yet. What, they've, what would they have done to it? Take, de- demixed it? I don't understand. Yeah, it's kind of strange. And then obviously processed the very stems. That's what it seemed to be. Mm. But uh, it strikes me as a lot of money gone into a lot of research. Well, uh, in case you were wondering, uh, Audionomics won the first, pri- the first prize of the annual competition of the French Ministry of Research in 2003, which sounds suitably fuzzy and unfocused. Uh, Mon Dieu! The words that the research team worked together on some of the best laboratories in the world, such as Telecom Paris, Tech. You know, they sound like serious dudes, and it sounds like they put serious money into the marketing of it. I just don't, and it doesn't all add up into a sort of bigger picture. And then when you hear it, you just think, is it ready for this kind of launch? I just didn't really understand the, it. I, I, I mean, I'm probably being a bit harsher just for comedic value, but I, I don't really understand its purpose and function, I suppose, is the, is the thing. But we should be there. PJ, would you, it would be useful, this kind of thing, wouldn't it? I mean, undoubtedly, there'd be a great use for for it occasionally, where you could, even if it was going back to old stuff and going, oh, shoot, I'd like to replace something or do this or that or the other, then you perhaps didn't have the opportunity to get to the source. Oh, my yes. Yeah, most definitely. It would be wonderful. And the hyperbole reminded me of that piece of software that you were talking about from MESA last year, where they showed the the Gabriel track being Mm. deconstructed. And that, that seems to be the closest... Uh, to anything that I've that I've heard personally, that sounds viable. After listening to the example that you played us just now, that which sounded more like an automated bandpass filter, or, you know, low and uh, mm. low and high pass filtering. But um, the uh, the Emulator X2 software for um, <clears throat> PC and Mac um, Emu software has a pretty good one-button solution for doing the mid-side manipulation for taking center stage vocals out of out of recordings. So if anybody's looking for just that, you know, if they want to go through old records where, you know, where you can get a dry vocal out of the center, it's it's pretty it's pretty good filter for doing that kind of thing. But other than that, I I, I don't know what's out there. Hmm. Yeah. I, I suppose. Do you think we begin, because Melodyne seems to have raised the bar so far and we're just expecting everything, every other sort of time and space dimension to catch up? Hmm. I don't know. I'm not expecting it anytime soon. Mm. It, would be, it would be amazing to see it happen. And I'm sure there's plenty of people out there working on the, working on the issue, but uh, I, I don't know when it'll show up. Yeah. Oh well. Anyway, one for for, for a bit of fun. Um, they are. Where do we have to go to see that? That was. Uh, oh, we had a new story. I think it's audionomics.com but I'll put the link in the show notes and you can check it out. You just sign up for an evaluation. It's fairly straightforward. I mean, I can't imagine. Um, you know, that it's uh, there's anything heinous about signing up. I think they're just trying a different model. I mean, rather than just letting everybody download it, they want to. They they're exchanging it for some valuable marketing information. Um, I guess. And there's no indication of how much it's going to cost when it's finally done or any of that mm. stuff. But um, th- there is one process which looks quite funny when you're running it. It says crunch computing. I like the look of that. Don't know what it's doing, <laughs> but I, I imagine that is a really important part of the process. And it's doing something 
you know, maybe they just need to tweak the crunch computing algorithm for it to work perfectly. Or maybe it works really well on the, the kind of material that I don't have. Uh, or didn't have to hand, so maybe it's just a, a mismatch. I mean, if there's anyone out there listening who has had good results for it, please do let us know, because I, I, I'd like it to work, and I'd be very interested. It works excellent on monophonic audio. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think you could be right there. Uh, right then, uh, the next one was um, was from you via you, Rich, and I did do my best to fully understand the concept of ambiophonics by a chap called Ralph Glasgow. Uh, but I could, I found it difficult to kind of get my head around it. Essentially, as far as I understand it, it's a way of decoding stereo spatial recordings into something that's much more uh, realistic sounding by the means of various plugins and decoding and encoding software. If you record it using, if you encode it using the recorded software and then decode it, you get these amazing results. From what I gather, uh, I, I'm guessing, Rich, that you perhaps could um, fill in a few of those dreadful gaps in my uh, in my knowledge of this because I'm not totally clear as well, to. I can, I can tell you my interpretation of what yeah, I read please. on his website. Um, and how it relates in my historical perspective to past attempts at this. <clears throat> Just to briefly summarize what his claim is, he says that by placing two front speakers within the 360-degree sound space, 20 degrees apart, yep. in front of you, thereby placing them more or less underneath your TV, with his software, he can create for you a 150-degree soundstage by means of applying, and this has always been the way, selective phase cancellation devices in each speaker relative to what the other speaker is doing. And his, his statement of why this is and why widely positioned equilateral triangle left-right speakers don't work in his view has to do with the fact that each speaker representing a side of a single event reaches each ear at a different time base. So, for example, the left speaker, which is carrying, let's say you've got a stereo microphone in front of a flute player who's standing in front of you. The left speaker is theoretically carrying the microphone, you know, on the left side. And if his theory is that if that sound were thereby isolated to your left ear, as it would be, say, in headphones you would get a much more accurate soundstage uh, re- relative to what the microphones are hearing. But because that sound reaches your right ear as well, along with what's coming in the right microphone, it smears the image. Have I explained it in a coherent manner? I believe so, yeah. So his vision is, and he's not the first by any means, not by a long shot, that by creating a phase canceled and probably slightly delayed, though I didn't get that far in his literature, um, image of what comes out of the right speaker and the left speaker and vice versa. And by placing the speakers so close together so that their own physical spread is not what's creating the image for you, he believes he can broaden and more accurately reflect the original image as brought into, say, a stereo microphone. How this relates to multiple miking and multiple mono sources mixed panned into a stereo field and all of that, I'm not quite sure. But at least as it relates to a stereo microphone of a, of a, of a live event, I can sort of understand the theory. And I've understood the theory since the late 70s when Bob Carver was building something called sonic holography into his audio hi-fi products. And 
in his case as well, you had to position the speakers fairly close together in front to get that wide image out to the side. And with certain recordings, yes, you would hear a guitar 90 degrees to your left where the closest speaker was like, you know, 10, 15 degrees off center in front of you. Mm. And uh, it's an inter- so- it's, it's kind of interesting, though, isn't it? The fact that he's going to all this trouble to create essentially, I mean, the the, the ultimate experience will be improved but it's totally impractical from a listener's point of view in anything other than a very controlled listening environment well how so is it how is it more difficult to achieve than other than the fact that my desk isn't built properly to support speakers you know 10 degrees each off axis from straight in front of me how is it difficult to achieve um, well, I suppose for the, the most casual listener you know because it's it's we're not uh, generally, as a, a, a as a species, all that uh, bothered about details like where we put the speakers. You know, we'll have you know we'll listen to it on headphones. We'll listen to it on you know our speakers will fit the design of the room. It might work. I, I can see how it would work for an audiophile who is going to present that much le- that level of detail into their listening environment. But everybody else, I mean, I, I'm guessing that's who it's for, though. Maybe I'm, I'm missing the missing the point. I'm not sure who it's for. He makes a box. His technology is being used in a hardware box that somebody is selling that you're supposed to be able to put on your home theater rig and with just four speakers outdo your current 5.1 rig, according to him. Mm. That's, I mean, so I think he's found a way to market it into home theater products, but yes, it uses a non-standard configuration. Oh, I see, right, okay, okay. And most people will just go to their local appliance store and buy whatever, you know, Samsung, LG, Sony, Panasonic, whatever, uh, home theater rig, and just run those crappy little speaker wires all over the room, like I did. Yeah, like I do. Well, I don't anymore. I don't even do that. I just listen to stuff on my laptop speakers in the corner of the room how sad is that or on my uh rock Q radio which is quite good but um again not particularly stereo-fied or anything um interestingly ralph apparently it's you know it says about him um why why is he doing you know why is he putting so much energy into this and it says uh, because ambiophonics rec- recreates the excitement of live music uh and he's a lifelong uh, concert goer uh, married to a performing pianist as a physicist engineer a member of both the audio uh, Engineering Society and the Institute of Electrical Electronics Engineers. He spent decades perfecting a way to bring the, the power and majesty of the concert experience into your home. I'm guessing it's pretty much from a classical point of view where a lot of the sound sources were recorded, you know, of a concert pianist or whatever. They might be a, a, a tree or something, but it's still ultimately a, a stereo pair and a little bit more. Maybe it's really good for that kind of thing. Hello? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> were you addressing all that to me? Because if you you're going to find yourself very disappointed on the back end. <laughs> I completely spaced out. Well, I, I, it's this sort of age-old issue, isn't it, of kind of changing the reference point, really, and changing the way that, you know, we've been here before with RSS, we've been here before with various other things, 3D sound that you get in boomboxes and all that sort of thing. And to be honest, the, probably the 3D button in the boombox is as close as you've got to mass consumption of a, a stereo widening effect as we're likely to get. You know, up to now, and it just doesn't seem to have got any anywhere from there. You know, I mean, it's just unlikely to to take hold, is what I mean. It seems like an awful lot of lifetimes work for for something that's going to be very, very, very niche. Uh, As, I'm sorry. As you point out, it's very audiophile oriented, and typically in the past, when this was the case, there was a very small window, physical window, in which this all took place. 
If you moved your head 24 inches to the left, all of a sudden the image collapses to those two. Oh, but it, it says pictures. you can. It says in here that you can you can move your head, you can tilt, you can even nod. I think it's, it uses the language while you're listening to oh, the stuff. Oh, you mean you mean within a like five <laughs> centimeter you know window? Yeah, I suppose. Oh, you right. Could. Okay. It's not like when you go and have your eyes tested and you get your head clamped into a machine to. <laughs> to I think when you walk into the next room to take a whiz, you're not surrounded by the orchestra as you go. I'd hope not. That'd be a bit disconcerting, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> dun, 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 dun. I'm sure that fiddler is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's interesting, and and for those of you who find this uh, this kind of thing, you know, the holy grail of the listening experience, it just seems at odds with the rest of us. You know, where we're all moving, or not with the rest of us, with the rest of the world that's moving away from uh, un, un um, compressed audio and you know all of that sort of stuff. It just seems like it's 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 diametrically opposed to the rest of the world unfortunately and it sounds like one of those things that uh, in fact there's a there's a wonderful picture of all the people involved standing um near a lake somewhere and they, they they're not terribly um presentable individuals <laughs> oh now come on i didn't see it i didn't even see the picture and i Did thought you were going to tell me it was a self-portrait no no it's a p- academic the very very academic which i think is, is kind of what i'm getting at <laughs> So you're saying on a fashion level they weren't exactly happy? On an eye contact with the camera level, there was a sort of, you know, there's all sorts of reasons why it was a strange collection of individuals. People, several people all standing there looking incredibly uncomfortable. They were afraid to move their heads because they didn't want to lose the image. <laughs> that's, that's more mean than me. <laughs> should we should we move on because this doesn't strike me as it's going anywhere particularly but it it's an interesting um experiment and obviously you know there are people out there who are devoting their life's work to this kind of thing which is good because someday it'll yield something that the rest of us will will find invaluable i'm sure have a look anyone who's interested have a look at um they're called hrtfs and it's head related transfer function and there's a big article on Wikipedia about this. It's a shame it didn't happen last week, actually, because John cut his teeth doing 3D sound for a company called Sensora. Ah. So uh, I sent him uh, this link, and he came back with some, some quite interesting comments. Shame, yeah. Shame he's not here, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Missed the chance. We'll put this one to sleep gently, shall we? Like a, like a, like a well-loved pet that we don't want to harm. We'll just uh, stroke it until it goes away. Uh, but anyway, thanks, Rich. Um, I think it's, it, does, it does present an interesting set of uh, parameters for people to work with. I just, I, I can't, I can't, it's one of those things that you can't immediately test or hear for yourself without kind of going to an awful lot of trouble, I guess, can you? Fundamentally, what John said to me is that think of it as a slightly more advanced version of the wide stereo thing, where basically you subtract the left signal from your right and vice versa to put the sounds outside of where the speakers are. Right. Same kind of concept. uh, Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to stop now because I'm 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 actually massively out of my depth with this. That's as you probably guessed. So. ambiophonics.org where you can read everything and see all about it and uh, there are some plugins there's some VST uh, plugins there's a sort of multi-platform looks like a Java transcoder and decoder so you can get into it and find out for yourself 
Um, I guess this might be a good time to do an advert, seeing as uh, we do have a show sponsor in the form of Yamaha from the UK. Uh, thank you very much to Yamaha. They would like to draw your attention to their Yamaha Download. It's a monthly podcast and it covers all aspects of music performance, creation, production, interviews with key artists, latest product news, competitions, tutorials. Uh, they've got something for everybody, basically. And the February issue is just out uh, and it's uh, very guitar-orientated, but it's not always the case, so please do check them out. Very nicely made. Uh, they take the lid off the y- Yamaha uh, SG guitar and the new incarnation which is the SG1820 uh, talk to Soren Anderson and Zico Chain's bassist Cl- Chris Glitherow talk of their love of the new BB2024 bass anyway check them out um, sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha there's a, a, a sort of link page there where you can go out and it'll uh, track more easily to tell them where, where the visitors have come from so we can get some credit for it and uh, they'll keep spending money with us obviously that's the way it tends to work. But uh, also they have uh, a great newsletter. Again, it's monthly. You can get to a link from that same page, uh, sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha. Lots of news coming up. Obviously, with the Music Messer, um, you'll be able to see and hear and uh, view all of the stuff that's going to be coming out from the Music Messer show, where Yamaha have a massive haul. I'm quite looking forward to going to the Music Messer now. I'm hoping it's not going to be still freezing, because I'm sure I remember going there one year, and it was actually really lovely and warm and spring-like, and I could really do with that. Uh, as I said earlier, the weather here has been dreadful, but I, I suspect it's going to be a cold dash to the taxi from the the freezing foyer of the hotel, and then uh, and then that's it. But anyway, Yamaha.co.uk, SonicState.com forward slash Yamaha. We thank them very much for their continued sponsorship of the show, and uh, we shall be attending the hall, and you'll be able to see, obviously, all the new Yamaha products from Music Messer via us, as per usual. So let's move on to our next topic. Um, oh, I've got a clip. I am Patrick, and this is my band, Jazari. The band as a whole is controlled by two Wiimotes, and this is how they control the various instruments. So I'm only going to talk about the djembe now. I use the, uh, the Wii in my right hand to control the djembe. It's pretty simple. I've got, I use only three buttons on the Wiimote. The down button gives me the low note on the djembe. Left gives me the mid-tones. And up gives me the high tones. When I hold down one of those buttons, that note that it controls will repeat. And I control how fast it repeats itself by turning the Wii. Here are quarter notes. Eighth note. I won't play the whole lot, but it, it uh, and uh, it's actually really fascinating because there's two videos on this clip. This this was uh, Patrick Flanagan, who has a band called Jazari, and he's uh, it's been sort of mocked to uh, that the headline has been sort of uh, hippie drums drum circle replaced by robots kind of uh, kind of headlines. Um, but what it is is he's created this um, set of mechanics which are like little players that play on different parts of the drum. He's got a couple of Wii remotes. He presses buttons and they play in certain parts of the drum and in certain rhythms and then he can actually get them creating loops that he'll play and then and one of the other machines will then listen to what the other drum's doing take a cue from it and start to uh, jam on that and so on and so forth and it's that part was really fascinating and it's actually quite an interesting and quite you know reasonably human sounding set of um bongo drummy things uh, D- dave you're a drummer i'm going to come to you first so are you ready yeah did you see it First of I all, did. I better check this first. Yeah, I did, yes. And um, he's using a Wii, I don't know what the software is he's using, he's obviously written something in like Max or whatever it must be, um, but it's a, it's a very interesting, 
I think the mechanical side of it wasn't really the point. It was the it was the sort of fact that it was it was able to learn from itself and improvise in quite good and human ways. Did you did you see that? Yeah, and I thought it was awesome. I was I, I honestly didn't expect to be impressed by this, but I really was. The way he was he was pushing some beats and pulling some mucking around with the djembes versus the congas and the bongos and stuff and that that cabasa (laughs) that kind of wired up you know to a little uh, little belt i mean i just thought it was brilliant and it actually sounded really really good it's interesting because he could have demonstrated the same theories just by triggering you know samples presumably couldn't he and and saved himself a whole lot of um hassle having to make what i don't know what they would have been they would have been controlled magnets or whatever those things are um but yeah it, it he seems like a very uh, switched-on guy. Very switched I watched, on. I watched the bit, you know, with, with the playing first of all, and thought, "Wow, that's." I mean, it just played really well. And then I watched, you know, how it was done, and that was brilliant because that kind of pulled it all together. The fact that he was kind of dancing there with those couple of Wii remotes, brilliant, just brilliant. Really, really impressed. John Van Eaton in the the chat room says I'm wondering if he soaked the drums in patchouli oil and the sweet smell of ganja so you could get the full hippie drum circle experience (laughs) (laughs) and whether there was an extremely loud djembe that was played at a time with the rest of the group (laughs) (laughs) good call John good call John (laughs) drum circle seemed to be much more of a um of a US kind of thing. I don't really kind of recall much history of it in the UK. Do you think, I mean, but do you think that this has any validity? I mean, uh, PJ, I would, I would imagine there's something that he might be kind of getting the grips of some sort of interesting musical algorithms there, no? Oh, yeah. It, this is fascinating. I, I, I love the idea of this. And it, it brings me back to uh, a conversation I think we had several months ago about the future of virtual instruments and how they might go live. You'd have software-controlled live instruments, so you could create a pair of mechanical hands that could play the guitar or the bass and, and improvise on those instruments. Um, and this gentleman has done it with the drums, which I think is utterly fascinating. And I love that the, the actual title of the piece that you sent us was uh, Remote-Controlled Robot drum circle makes human hippies obsolete. <laughs> yeah, that was- <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love uh, how they've relegated hippies uh, to simply being participants in bad drum circles. Well, it's not far from the truth, in my yeah, experience. Yeah, it's not far <laughs> from the truth, yeah. <laughs> um, I was there once, you know, I can speak from experience. Uh, not in drum right. circles, but in sort of appalling, uh, in adult jams that, uh, on reflection, when you're going back over the C90s, were absolute twaddle. <laughs> You thought you had something good? No, you didn't. It was just rubbish. (laughs) Well, I I can testify to the fact um, whether or not it's just a U.S. phenomenon, I don't know. But here in Minneapolis, as soon as the warm weather hits, there are no end to the outdoor drum circles. Well, they do that at NAMM, don't they? Um, They have a drum circle on... It's either one morning or one evening. It's Friday or Saturday, I believe. Uh, and I always give it quite a wide berth because it's quite loud, for one thing. And uh, it's just not my kind of thing, I guess. But lots of people bring along their djembes in specially, specially crafted, hand-embroidered cases and, you know, all of that stuff. They're obviously people very proud of their drums. And quite rightly, they're very uh, primal and important instruments in the history of music. But it's just a... 
Yeah, it's a bit, a bit strange. But I, I like the idea of him kind of applying the science of it. I mean, he's that's the thing, you know, there's things that he's doing, he's applying... I forget the term he uses. He presses one button and it shifts. It does a modulus, which is some kind of musical thing. I, Rich, you might know about that. And he says, this is a modulus five, and this is what it says. I mean, I, I, it resequences the way that the the music is played. It's quite, it's quite interesting. Well, my link for this is the, the new... Pat Metheny Orchestrion Project, which is a room full of pneumatically played mechanical instruments being triggered from either computer or live from his guitar. And he's touring this thing. Mm. <laughs> and he is. It's bigger. It's probably even more complex than James Taylor's huge wooden mechanical drum machine. And uh, <laughs> it is. Well, and, we, do have, and, we do have a punch on for robot uh, f- uh, powered music on this show. No. While right, I do, and while Metheny is using a guitar and not a Wii, um, I'm sure that the translation software. There comes a point in the software end where it doesn't matter what's feeding it, once you've quantified the movements into some sort of number. So I know that sounds I don't know, but but. Uh, <laughs> So there's a whole video on Metheny's site about the Orchestrion project, have, yeah, how they that. did it, and what software they used, and they, you can find out about the guy who built all these devices to trigger all. I mean, he's got a room full of stuff, including marimbas and uh, you know guitars and basses and all kinds of stuff being so he's played actually, mechanically. He's, he has basses and guitars being played mechanically. Yes. Stringed oh. instruments. He's got. It's remarkable. Go watch his video. It's, it's a very un- strange thing for something like him to do because he was always, you know, certainly through the eighties and nineties, he was the sort of uh, wafty head, kind of feeling it, kind of jazz improvisational guitarist uh, uh, in the new style. Well, he still is. He's jamming over this. That he writes pieces for it. It plays the pieces, and he jams over it. Is it because no one else will play with him anymore? <laughs> Oh, well, he didn't so. quite frame it that way, but that's funny. <laughs> oh, Jesus, he won't let me have any solos. He'll take the ones, and this way, he can just... <laughs> no, I'm yeah, sure I, that's not I, the case. I hadn't wrapped my head quite around it that way. That's great. <laughs> oh what's one way of looking at it? Sorry, that was, that was very, uh, very un, um, what's the word? unrespectful of me, but, you know... <laughs> Maybe he'll rent it out to Kenny G. I was yeah, going to say. Exactly. <laughs> Kenny G. How many other people could use that? It's like, you know, it's, it's like banned in a box. No, it's not banned in a box. It's banned in an Arctic lorry with... with I imagine there probably has to have quite a lot of crew with something like that because there must be all sort of tweaking and resetting and stuff. It must be kind of amazingly hard to set up. Nick, I wonder if you could program the uh, robot marimba player to be a real prima donna just to give the roadies something to, to do. You just have a, 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 a valve in there that just changes gradually over time, so it just gets louder and louder and louder and louder and louder and louder and louder, and louder, and louder until, <laughs> until it's almost unbearable. <laughs> and then one of them throws down their sticks. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's, you could program and forget the program. You could program sort of the interrelational politics into the robots as well, just exactly. to make it even more. Now, but that would strike me as being someone who had far too much time on their hands and probably need to interact with some humans again. <laughs> but that was kind of fun. And this whole um, Jazari piece, uh, certainly been sort of doing the rounds on the music tech blogs. And uh, I thought it was very interesting. Anyway, um, I, I, I used, I'm using this purely as a way to plug the fact that we've just uh, got the world excuse exclusive review of the Korg Chaosolator Pro. 
uh, on Sonic State, and I put it on YouTube simultaneously in a sort of experiment to see how that worked. And uh, I thought I'd check out what the URL sounded like, because there's this thing called um, Code Organ, where you plug a URL in and it plays some music based on the actual, uh, analyzes the body content of, your, <laughs> of, the, of the page. So here it comes. This is what my page sounds like. That was actually it. <laughs> I thought I put a whole lot of effort into that review, right? And quite and wrote quite a lot of words to go along with it. And I've spent significant amounts of time designing the site. And I get like a bar and a half that sort of peters out. It was very disappointing. You um, should use that as the as the tag music for your uh, for your review. You think? Uh, let's hear yours, PJ. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. All right. Yeah, but you, yours is more definite, but still quite short. So I think you probably need to work longer on your <laughs> website as well. Uh, now, it's interesting, Nick, because when I put mine in there, uh, it actually played this little Latin jig. Oh, really? Well, it was it, completely uh, different from that piece of music. Yeah, well, that was the thing. It was different every time because I got one for GeForce that was actually really good. Uh, and so, uh, but I forgot to hit record because I wasn't ready. And, and it was uh, in C minor. And this is the one that I ended up with. This is GeForce software. <laughs> is that one of the new patches for the Imposca 2? That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just, I put my own site in there, which has got no text on it at all, and it came up with nothing, just silence. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> That's the Steve Reich algorithm. Uh, uh, Mark, Mark isn't here, but I did put Autism Hero in as well. Which I think is the best. Best beats. But that brass sequence sounds awfully familiar. Do you think he's been nicking some HTML from your site? <laughs> anyway, some people, I really have no idea. Some people have just got an enormous amount of time on their hands. Uh, oh, I'm just looking down the list to make sure that this wasn't actually the last item because I was going to was going to be over. That's how you can figure quickly, out whether obviously. or not somebody is nicking HTML from your site is to put their URL into the tone organ and, and see whether or not you come up with the same, the same yeah. piece of music. Oh, right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Has anybody come up with a way to test? Uh, did you put in the same URL twice in a row? Yeah, it's different every time. Yeah, yeah, so this has nothing to do with the URL. I think you're right. No. <laughs> I think he's hoodwinked here. But it does. I just read what it says. It says, firstly, the code organ scans the page contents and removes all characters not found in the musical scale A to G, then analyzes the remaining characters to find the most commonly used note. If this is an even number of the pages translated into the major pentatonic scale of that particular note, then it becomes a minor if there's an uneven number. So how come yours and Mark's riff was the same? Anyway, secondly, the code organ defines which synthesizer to use. It's based upon the total number of characters used on the web page. There are currently 10 synthesizer effects, and the one chosen is based upon the percentage of content. It selects a drum loop, lastly, based upon the ratio of characters on the page versus the number of characters that are actually musical notes. Go and make beautiful music together. It closes the code organ people. Anyway, there you go. I think in the background they're downloading your banking information. Yeah, <laughs> it's quite it's quite possible. Hey, hey, well maybe I should try it on my banking page and see how that see what that sounds like. Hey, there's an idea. Yeah, why not? Eh? <laughs> Include the password in the yeah. URL too. That would be a great idea. That would probably be some quite exciting sort of car chase or crime edgy music. I'd hope. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've, I've, I've got an idea now for a new business. Pass, Passworddance.com. Enter your password here at Groovy Tune. Yeah. <laughs> or, or enter a piece of music and we will generate a password for you. <laughs> well, you know, not yeah. as lucrative on the back end, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe not. So anyway, that was um, that was the code organ. Uh, just a bit of fun there. Um, I, I'm afraid I didn't put MySpace in there. Um, I probably should have done, Rich. But uh, you'll have the. You, perhaps you can try this at home in your own time and uh, enjoy the majesty of the music it creates. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, we'll we'll move on. Um, earplugs. Um, this was an, an article on um, uh, create digital music by a guy called James Loveday, uh, who was reviewing the. Etymotics ER20s, which are 12 bucks. And he said they're absolutely fantastic because they, what they tend to do, they seem to they bring the overall level down so you can concentrate more. He tried it a couple of gigs, Mogwai, and he, he put it on for a couple of numbers. They're a very loud band and quite full on. And he said you could actually hear more detail and more clarity after putting them on, which is unusual because most people just use those kind of foam ones. And there's, a, there's, there's lots of comments on this article. It was only up a couple of days ago. Uh, a guy from Morgan uh, called Morgan says, I play drums, keyboards for an instrumental rock band. Uh, we are very loud. When I first started with the band, I used foam plugs. Uh, he'd never had trouble with breaking cymbals or sticks, etc. But since he started using the plugs... Uh, he, he played louder and louder and louder. Uh, he switched to the uh, the equi- equivalent kind of headphones as the uh, earplugs as these, and um, the overall volume came down. And he could hear things much, much, much better. So it sounds like they, these could be quite a good uh, buy. I just wondered. One of the questions I was going to ask is: Is there any uh, situation where you could use them professionally and still, you know, uh, and still operate function? I wear earplugs on stage almost all the time. Yeah, and I wear basic, cheap freebie foam ones that you get wherever <laughs> right the ones they pass out at the door whatever i'll use anything i haven't i've never done the full-on frequency balance right way to do it and i probably should and if i were still touring regularly in a band i probably would um i'll wear i wear earplugs most of the time tinley by the way has a lot to say about this topic um i remember from the past he's used a lot of these things oh yeah we've we've talked about filled the holes and emptied the holes and redrilled the holes and he's done a whole lot of different stuff with these things well these these look um these are 12 bucks and they're supposed to be really good value so it might be worth checking out dave i mean you've have you suffered from tinnitus i mean drummer you're bound to have exposed to extremely loud um environments on a regular basis yeah, no. I mean, ever since I got my uh, issue, uh, that's been constant. Tinnitus is constant, and some days it's louder on the inside than it is on the outside. Uh, so, yeah, I'd advocate using. It. I do know a lot of people who use these, and uh, like I say, for twelve bucks, and uh, supposedly they sound great. Yeah, I'm going to try them. I used to take them with me for gigs, but I could never. I had not these ones. I had shooting ones that were. They were things that would close at very sharp um, transients. But I never felt comfortable uh, wearing them, and partly because, you know, you're at the mixing desk and, you know, something goes wrong, there's a bit of feedback, everybody looks over at you and they can see you've got something stuck in your ears. You, you, your reputation's going to sort of go downhill fairly quickly from there. So, see, that guy, he's just wearing bloody headphones, he's wearing earplugs, no wonder it sounds so rubbish. You know, etc., etc. Have a word with the band, you know, that's it. Gig, gig over. In fact, actually, I haven't worked as a live sound engineer since I used to wear those things. Maybe there's something in it. <laughs> but, you know, PJ, would you? Could you? Will you? Yeah, yeah. I think actually I'm, I'm intrigued. Um, like Rich, I, I've used mostly for the gigs that I've done in the past, uh, mostly just the foam and the silicon, um, you know, off the shelf. 
and they seem to work just fine for but this this looks like a great a great idea so yeah i'm i'm definitely going to pick up a pair Okay. Well, well uh, we we can probably vouch for. I should try and see if we can get an affiliate code. We got. I mean, commission on four but four purchases of twelve bucks is going to certainly increase the revenue from the show by at least threefold. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think we might try and work that one out. Uh, yes, those are the Etymotics ER20s, 12 bucks, and uh, save your ears. Uh, finally, I was going to end up with um, 10 billion song downloads from iTunes is approaching. I think uh, I looked this, this afternoon just before the show, and there are uh, 9,997,300,000. So we're getting close to the 10 billion songs. Apparently, uh, it, 6 billion of those have happened in the last two years. And I was working this stuff out, and uh, that worked. I, I, I think I've got my maths right. I'm not terribly good at this sort of thing. But anyway, these figures sound much more impressive, so we'll just assume that they're right. Uh, Eight million per day, based on a price of 79 cents, that works out at six million dollars per day revenue over the last two days, two years. Is that possible? Anybody going to can, can uh, scribble that on the back of, a, of an envelope and verify that? It's pretty astonishing numbers, isn't it? And I, I don't really understand how the record industry can say we're screwed. Would would you be selling that much music? I mean, it seems like an, a massive amount, really. I, I'm just I, I'm just a bit flabbergasted by those numbers. But I, I don't suppose we don't know how many of those are purchases, whether they're actual purchases or whether they're downloads, because obviously all the podcasts go through iTunes as well, and they probably count as downloads. Maybe, <laughs> and that's it. We're running their numbers up. Do you think that's it? Do you think? I think. I think probably at least forty percent of that figure's got to be from uh, this show, don't you? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Those sort of numbers really kind of make you go, "Wow." Yeah, yeah, it's big numbers. Big, big they're numbers. impressed. And you know, obviously, iTunes is big, but they're not the only people who sell music in a digital form. I mean, Amazon presumably sell a, a, a bucket load of them as well, and various other people there are. So that, that seems reasonably healthy to me. I don't know. PJ, we're into maths. Have you figured it out yet? Was I right? Have you got a calc- I, <laughs> I, I haven't. Uh, my, my brain's a little fuzzy at this time of the day, but <laughs> I haven't had my requisite amount of coffee to be able to do something as complicated as that particular equation. <laughs> no, but uh, iTunes has... Uh, uh, there, there has to be a lot, a lot to it. I mean, they, they also sell television and, and uh, you know, episodic television and that type, type of thing over, over iTunes. And like you said, there's the, uh, uh, the free podcasts and whatnot. So, I'm sure all of these things contribute to that, to that number. It can't. Well, I don't know. Maybe it is all, all music. I don't know whether they're differentiating between those, those particular items that they stream off their site. Uh, but either way, it's, it's pretty impressive in terms of the amount of traffic that they're generating, the amount of interest that they're generating in, uh, in that, in that uh, mode of, of delivery. And that it's, uh, you know, functionally, it's, it's increasing rapidly, apparently. Mm. And uh, astonishing. I mean, it, it looks a bit like, you know, the, uh, there's the national debt counter in New York. I forget where it is. You probably know, Rich. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I remember sitting in a cafe once, and uh, there's a record shop uh, just across the road from it, and just looking at it and just going, "Hey, look!" <laughs> and it's just a number, and it's like that on the page. Uh, uh, the Apple have got a page which has got a counter that's just that uh, the numbers are whizzing past. It's kind of like that. And the thing is spinning out of control. I don't know what number. It's probably m- bigger than eight billion, though, isn't it? 
10 billion. It's going to be a lot bigger than that. It's, going it's to be a number so large trillion. that it just it feels like it was made up by George Lucas or Steven Spielberg or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a fairly cheery. So the, as the debt increases, so does the uh, capacity to spend on digital downloads. It's quite a warm – isn't that heartwarming? Isn't there some, something – there must be something good in that um, – that somewhere that statement just goes to prove that statistically you can prove almost anything with uh, a couple of numbers and a comparison (laughs) i think what they're going to find out is that uh, along with the 800 hundred dollar toilet seats and other uh, miscreant spending at the uh, united states pentagon they're also downloading a lot of uh, you know old uh, chuck berry and bones and beatles tunes from uh, from itunes actually you can't get the beatles on itunes so well, anyway, uh, that is actually the last um, the last topic in the list. So, unless anybody has any other business to add, uh, we can uh, bring the show to uh, an end. Anybody have anything more further to add? I have a quick question. Sure. Has anybody tried Yamaha's modeled stage piano? the The new CP CP one. Yes. Um, I saw a demo. Okay. At- and uh, I heard it. It sounded quite nice. I'm not really a piano kind of buff, so I, I, I wouldn't w- wish to say uh, either way. But to my ears, I mean, this is purely, you know, this is purely from a kind of remembrance point of view. The uh, the V piano and the CP1. The CP1, although it's, it is sampled, but it's got a bit of synthesis in there, it's got a sort of a, a slightly warmer tone to it. It sort of feels a little more... Um, appealing in some way, but those are the only only the tones that I heard, and it does an awful lot of other stuff behind. Whereas, whereas the V piano is a lot more subtle and a lot uh, is more able to kind of um, change the tone, even though it's 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 purely modelled. Does that make any sense? It does, yeah. And what I'm interested in knowing is how it compares, how the playability compares to the V piano. So the the CP one is strictly. Uh, sample based in terms of in there they're adding some synthesis for string resonance and that type of thing is that I believe so you'd have to check out uh, the the guy I forget the name of the guy but he did a great demo from Nam um, and I, I did get the audio at reasonably high quality so it should give you a rough idea of what's going on there okay thank you but uh, it looked nice even if it was probably quite heavy, <laughs> it looked like it weighed a lot as well. Mm-hmm. And you've got the, of course, you've got the classic CP piano in there as well. And they, it looks like they modeled some some Rhodes and uh, some uh, Wurlitzers and that type of thing. Apparently, they're not, though they're not allowed to say that sort of thing, are they, anymore? They have to say, right. it sounds a bit like... In line mm-hmm. with that, Native Instruments have just released all the Scarby's keyboards and uh, can't call them Rhodes and Whirly and such, although... In some cases, they refer to the original products uh, in conversation, but they can't call it that. Scarby actually ran into that problem a few years back on his own website and had to mm-hmm. completely rename and re-ti- you know, retitle, repackage his entire product line because uh-huh. he was sued by those, yeah. by those yes. companies. Yeah. Yes, it's true. They Which made him miserable. Wow. Yeah. So he couldn't even use the name Whirly? Nope. Maybe, I don't know if Whirly... Yeah. But he didn't. He changed yeah. it all. Like uh, the Rhodes is classic electric piano, and the Whirly is something a tiny electric piano. I don't remember. And you know, one of them is sticky electric piano, or, or the clavinet was funky electric piano. It, mm-hmm. it, and they had folders called CEP and FEP and SEP and like that. <laughs> and now I think uh, 
Native Instruments has gone a little further to point your point the way through the title, and they say classic electric piano Mark One and right, you know, funky electric piano A three hundred that kind of thing. You know, to mm-hmm. kind of point yeah, mm-hmm. so that you know what you're looking at. But it's it's pretty easy to tell once you hear them. Yeah, yep. well, that's funny because uh, I did the Kurzweil demo with uh, Dave Weisner. Uh, who's a great player, by the way, and he was showing me the uh, the new I've forgotten the model of it is K3X or K- yeah I forget which one it is, but uh, the the way they get around it is they call it by the name of the track rather than the piano, <laughs> so everybody has a way of kind of inferring what they mean. And Nick, there was one more thing I wanted to contribute. Um, this week I've unearthed my old folder of seventies era. Yeah, I've been watching those. Whoa. And I, I've been scanning things and uploading them into anybody for whom uh, old gear is a uh, lusting kind of thing. Uh, you might enjoy looking at some of these. Rich, you need to get those on a page with some Google ads in them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Make some money for yourself. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. But um, there's even things on there that never got released or were renamed between the time the literature was printed. I have a preliminary, for example, OB-1 lit up there that was released before they named the instrument and then right after that i have the released instrument lit you know so you can see that they're the same but but different and uh oh, cool. things like an, things like an wow. oberheim guitar amp that i guarantee you nobody's ever seen because i don't think they ever made it um you know there's just interesting stuff up there you might you, you guys might like it oh brilliant is this on your facebook page rich yeah okay Fantastic. Right, well if, if there is a public link um just send it over and i'll I will put it in the show notes so you can browse the uh, the, the synth brochure porn, the seventies synth brochure porn. Well, there's a bunch of them because I've I've categorized them by company, so I've got a bunch of ARP stuff, a bunch of Oberheim stuff, a bunch of Moog stuff. But it's fun. I mean, I've only oh, gotten nice. about halfway down the pile. <laughs> I've got a ton of this stuff. Oh, now, this I haven't is- put up the Yamaha stuff yet, but uh, it's you know, and it's all really in great shape. The uh, lit, that is. Moog modules, you know, oscillator modules and shit. I got all kinds of stuff. Oh, brilliant. No, I didn't go to comic book collections to get this either. I actually accumulated it along the way as I was interested. Dave Spears, I hear you're being very quiet here. Are you you now ruining the day you threw out those uh, 1970s electronics and music maker magazines? Oh, no, I kept all the old ones. Oh, right. Anything in the 90s I got rid of. Oh, did you? (laughs) (laughs) Why? Anything from the 70s onwards. Well, there was nothing really fantastic in the 90s. When I was going through them all, it was like, hmm, no, I can live without that. But I kept all the old stuff. And I've got some of the stuff that Rich has posted, but I was uh, looking at Rich's stuff yesterday and this morning, actually. Nice to wake up to. (laughs) <laughs> I thought you might enjoy it, Dave. <laughs> this is sounding a little weird to me. Waking up to some 70s synth porn. Curling. It's, yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> right over my morning curling. I think we might be heading for some way towards the show title there somewhere. I'll, I'll, figure, out, I'll figure it out in the Curling in, in, in the, the morning. In the edit. But uh, uh-uh. thanks ever so much, everybody. Uh, it's been a, a pleasure as ever. Um, look forward to uh, the next time that we get together, which will be Wednesday of next week at the same time, 4 p.m. UK time, uh, where you can join us in the chat room, sonicstate.com forward slash live. Uh, there's a, a live chat room and a live audio feed, so you can kind of comment and sort of join us in that way it's it's all the rage i'm told um so anyway thank you that was sonic talk number 166 uh, i want to say thank you to my guests uh, first of all say thank you to rich hilton who will be heading back and scanning his literature with uh, with vengeance no doubt uh, in between working uh, in the studio with uh, various luminaries so thank you very much uh, rich hilton for joining us this week my pleasure always and thanks for having me 
Uh, no problem. Always a pleasure for us. And while we're over that side of the pond, I'll say goodbye to PJ Tracy, uh, pjtracymusic.com. Thank you, PJ. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure as always. Good. I have a great day. And also uh, back over here, Dave Spear from g4software.com. I guess you're back to the uh, Imposca 2 voicing. Yep. Thank you. Yes. Thank you very much yes. for joining us too. And uh, that's it for the show. Uh, by the way, uh, do check out the Chaosolator Pro review. Um, I'm, you know, I know that lots of people are interested in it, so it's up and live. You can see it on YouTube or on this site. And thanks to everybody in the chat room once again. Uh, and thanks to our sponsors, uh, Yamaha.co.uk. Uh, if you want to check out what we've been talking about for them, sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha will tell you all about their podcast and their newsletter. That was Sonic Talk number 166. It's a wrap. Thank you very much. <laughs>